You're listening to Very Loose Women. Hello, you are tuned in to Very Loose Women. I am Soila and I'm here today with author and actor Sarah Alexander. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Now we're in the Oval House Theatre, away from the studio in Oval, of course, because Sarah is in a new play called Rejoicing at Her Wondrous Vulva, The Young Woman Applauded Herself. Um, I think that's a brilliant title. So Sarah, what was it about that title or the idea of this show that really attracted you to it? Well, I have to say I'm really lucky because I had worked with Bella Heeson, the amazing writer and actor who's also in the show, um, back in 2016 at the Edinburgh Festival. And that's where she floated the idea of working on a second show. Her first one was about loss and grief. It's really moving about her parents. And um, she said, I want to do something about female sexuality. And would you be my clitoris? Yes, of course I would. Um, So that's where it started, from a tiny little seed, which she was just starting to sow. Mm. And um, over the years that followed, we worked really closely with our director, Donica O'Brien, who's also the dramaturg, crafting five minutes at a time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then trawling around experimental theatre nights. So that's how it grew, rather than an audition coming out of nowhere and you going along for the play. It's been a very uh, long, paced, gradual growing of something quite powerful and Mm. very funny. Cool. And um, you play a clitoris, um, which is great. And it's been really interesting because we've had a couple of discussions on Very Loose Women about what you call um, the general area. And um, we we were talking to Florence Shester of the Vagina Museum, and she said that the best word for it was a word that we can't say on radio, unfortunately, begins with C. Uh, It's a really interesting discussion we have about how our vulvas, vaginas, we have very quiet discussions about them. It's it's still a very taboo thing. So what is it about playing a clitoris that you think is both important but also just very fun? It's the most pleasurable revolution that could happen to me um, and I think to audience members. It's just really cool to play something. I'm, I'm wearing a huge clitoris on my head. I'm pretty sure my own clitoris is not the size of that, but I'm also sure that my clitoris is much bigger than we think it would be. So we're, um, you know, sort of at, sort of at home with the idea of this tiny little button. If you push it, then orgasms happen, which of course is not the entire truth um, but perhaps we're not so familiar with like these the bulbs that wrap around the vagina and the crora I mean it's a beautiful shape and I think it's just really refreshing for people to see that mm. in front of them and also the clitoris and the brain who have dialogues throughout this show are bonkers and bring up a lot of truths with a lot of uh, naivety and clown-like humour. Mm. I don't mean red-nosed clown. I mean the kind of clowns that are really delightful to laugh at and laugh with. And I think people will recognise mm. it's absurd, but it's also very truthful. 
It seems quite different from other roles that you've played before. Um, I was reading your biography and you starred in Harry Potter, in Doctor Who, in a plethora of uh, works on BBC and ITV. Um, what's the reaction been to people when you've been like, oh, what's Sarah, what's your latest project? And you're like, I'm a clitoris. <laughs> well, I, it's the most fun answer. I love it when people ask because I love the joy that I um, that the answer elicits from women mostly. Um, of course, it might be a bit of nerves, and suddenly you put the word clitoris in our conversation, and we're not really on clitoris terms. Mm. We didn't think uh, so. Maybe there's a little bit of embarrassment, but beyond that, honestly, there's a kind of relief, like oh, the thing, mm. and um, I do get quite a lot of pleasure from telling males that's what I'm doing and letting us sit in that slight awkwardness for a minute Mm. or absolute joy Mm. um of course not judging how people react to what I'm saying but it's been incredibly liberating most especially because all the other parts I've ever played are because people are searching for a certain actor I get put in the pool of people to be chosen from. Lucky enough, even to get an audition is amazing, but it's um, much less soulful. This is, this part as Bella's created this so beautifully and it's been so collaborative. Of course, she's the writer, it's her show and her words in the end, but we've got there through very intimate rehearsals, discussions that have been included from the beginning mm. and heard. Um, and that's so rare and so special, and I appreciate it so very much. Mm. So in the play and in other work that you've done, you explore sexism and the expectations that society puts on women. Why does this play and also that subject deserve, deserve the attention? Well, from a mystical perspective, which is probably where I'd always sort of lean first of all I mean it's the core of everything I mean women produce the human race of course not alone but they are the seat of creativity in its purest most powerful form fact you cannot argue that and at the heat of that is sexuality that energy that world of creativity and I think Bella and I are both really interested in that idea of erotic in its true sense in its Greek sense as like an appetite for all things and sexuality I think for women from my perspective is linked to your general mojo not just like what I do with my vagina mm-hmm. because it's not it's not even that it's your energy for creativity in all forms, growing food, eating food, talking to people, listening, consuming ideas, music, art, all the sensual self. It's not a little box where you just literally dip into. It doesn't work like that. And that fascinates me. And I want to be able to tell these stories because I didn't receive many growing up. It wasn't till my really mid-thirties 
I, I was sort of awakening to all this and I don't think that's right. Hmm. I would definitely agree with that. I think my um, sex education was very centred around this is reproduction and that's it, you know, man and woman, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't really until I was exposed to sexuality and um, kind of more open sexual relations in university and I was like, whoa, this is, this, this is weird. Um, but of course, it's, it wasn't weird. Um, but it was that, I don't know, a barrier, I think, yeah. which I hadn't put there myself. But, um. Um, and that's something that the show really deals with head on. The messages you receive, how they're planted in you, how much you nurture those plants, how much they grow, take over. Um, but really, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of female pleasure, is so threatening um, because it's boundless. And I really do believe that joy is the ultimate female transgression. And that's what we deal with in the show. Um, un the unlocking and the reconnecting with a shame-free sensuality. Mm. Um, and we've talked a lot about virginity, you know. And I, I, you know, I found myself through working on the show, probably like really dealing with these things very openly and, and consistently over several years. And people say, "Oh, so and so was a virgin," you know, in conversation. And I've heard myself go, "I don't know what that means. Do you mean there wasn't a penis in her vagina? Do you mean she hadn't had an orgasm before you? Do you mean she had had only an orgasm by herself or with another person?" You know, what do you mean? It's absolutely nonsensical. This mystical what? What are you talking about? And it really suits the framework of our mainstream society mm. to maintain that. Mm. Do not chase pleasure, because then there'll be anarchy, which is rubbish, of course. Mm. And of course, that's an incredibly liberating idea, um, especially for women to take control of that sexuality, you know, to enjoy pleasure and themselves that doesn't involve other people necessarily um, but when it does it's not just you know penis and vagina it's much more than that yeah. that's what Bella's really interested in and that's why the story is not about a young woman having sex with someone else necessarily it's about um, a woman becoming more alienated from her natural feral appetite and the traumatic repercussions of that for both her appetite and herself and it's about a coming home so the play ends on a really joyful hopeful note you've also previously kind of talked about um taking up space in the creative industry um what has your experience been with this play but then also in general throughout your career um, have you met resistance to taking up space or have there been times when it's very open? Um, and I want to reference possibly the Me Too movement and the importance of that and kind of women beginning to take that space back. And I know that was very important for a lot of people. I think the Me Too movement is very important. 
um, and it touches on really complicated conversations. I've had really thorny conversations with men and women and sometimes I feel conflicted about, and I think the play touches on this really well, about how sexuality is a kind of power. It is a superpower, fact. Because it's really energetic, it, it's, almost, it's very much inside our bodies and takes us very out, outside, it's expanding. And I think the miscommunication of sexuality being a power over someone else and I myself have witnessed, in a very uncomfortable way, uh, female actors using their sexual persona to push themselves further, or accepting the by necessity, they need to feed that and they need to harness that, and it's a kind of power. And that really blurs the messages and you know, sexuality and power politics are so blurred. And I think Bella really explores this so powerfully in this piece and raises the question like, what is autonomous power? When is it healthy and soul feeding? And when is it about an outside qualification, validation? And how does it feel to challenge that in yourself. Uh, but of course, the Me Too movement is vital because it does say you don't have to, we don't have to, and you will need to stop thinking that you can do this. Mm. Taking up space, I mean, goodness, like sometimes when you're an actor, you really are taking up very little space and have very little freedom you have to say these words you have to do them at this time and often there are situations where you feel incredibly invisible mm. and a sense of indifference from the creatives around you this rehearsal space this process has been honestly the best project I've ever worked on because my taking up of space is required I have to give heart and soul offer 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 for the process and Bella's been incredibly open inquisitive welcoming our director Donna Cobrian just the same so it's really safe and really creative and I'm really trying not to worry about how any other project will live up to this, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I was wondering if uh, you could tell me what your expectations were for this play. What do you, how do you think people will react and will they enjoy it? Do you hope that they'll go away and kind of think, you know what, I really need to start to have those conversations with not just the women around me, but the people around me. Well, what's been really lovely for us is that because the show has grown really steadily over years and culminated last year in a one-hour version because Bella and Donica were associate artists here at this theatre. So they were supported and um, the theatre helped to develop this work. We did an hour version 
no set really, um, scripts in hand. Uh, it was really like a skeleton version. 80 seats, I think, upstairs in the studio. And after the show, we would have these sessions with the audience because it was a scratch night. So we, people who come to see it know that they're going to be asked for feedback. It's a very active thing. And unanimously, people were deeply moved, uh, very hopeful. Yeah, so men in the audience um, had said they were really moved, felt privileged to be included in an intimate conversation. Women felt fortified, validated, full of joy and hope. And it was such a pleasure to really um, be able to engage with the audience in that conversation afterwards. And, and it wasn't about, are we good actors? Weren't we terribly good? It was nothing to do about that. The play is far bigger than all the people making it. And it just really felt so powerful to be part of that discussion of something so ancient, so primal and so suffocated for thousands and thousands of years and we stopped to acknowledge the sacred feminine we, and it, to the detriment of men and women. It's really lacking in our culture, really lacking. And so there's a part of all of us that is not being fed. So it's time to let out a bit of joy and take up space and spread our wings with pleasure, shame-free. And uh, Sarah, you're uh, an author as well as an actor. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the books that you've written? All my stories have women at the forefront, at the core, or women trying to, struggling to work out who they are and why they are and what they should and shouldn't be doing and why, they, why they're doing what they're doing. Writing has brought me a lot of pleasure. It's a really lovely balance between being a very physical, um, comical, uh, active collaborator in a rehearsal room uh, to being very solitary and really just exploring the crevices of my imagination. It's a really nice balance. And on my first three novels, the third one, The Last Concerto, comes out this August. And they're all got a distinctly Italian flavour because those are my roots. I am half Sardinian. And um, in my stories, food and sex is quite forefront. And that's not to say it's purely titillating, but I really do use the sexual scenes and food scenes to give a very sensual um, attachment to the plot. So, you know, I did have a criticism. Someone said it was basically my debut under a Sardinian sky. Oh, it's basically a cookbook with a bit of a story. And I, I took that as a complete compliment. Like, yes, our life, my life is revolved around food, the making of food, the ritual of making food, the ritual of women making food and what that means and what it stands for. It's simply not just making a good pasta sauce. It has context 
Why is it good? Why is that woman happy to make the sauce for this family? Or is she not? Or is this her escape? Is the one thing she can control is this pasta sauce? And that's where her finesse, her freedom lies. Because a lot of the women, upper generations of my Sardinian family, that is their sometimes one of the few expressions that they can have is how they take up space. Everyone's eating the food, all 30 people in the family. So they are inside literally everybody. And um, I'm really interested in that. So, and of course, also the intimate scenes, sexual scenes, I don't shy away from the details. They're needed because I really want the readers to experience it in a very visceral way. And those scenes are where my female characters spread their wings, find themselves, are scared about how powerful they are. And in the case of the last novel is where she discovers her struggles with intimacy and eventually finds the courage to deal with what's holding her back head on. And um, I just, I'm really interested in sensuality. I think that's where the revolution is, the opposite of everything we're told to be, basically. Is there is there anything else that you would like to mention about the show, about your books, about other kinds of things that you're involved in? Um, well, I'm heavily involved in my family life because I have two sons, which is a uh, privilege and a lot of pressure because I've got some really strong ideas about where women and men should function in the most healthy way together. And so raising boys is a really hands-on way to help me become the best woman I can be so that they take out healthy messages into their lives and for themselves. Um, And... I can most often be found plotting at my allotment. That's where my sanity is, literally in the ground. (laughs) Um, And I feel really privileged that I do get to do lots of different things. I'm crazy about music. Um, I play the piano. I'm a beginner bassist, which looks a lot like me playing the bass in my bedroom with my eldest son, who's a pre-teen and pretty good at the drums. I'm learning more from him than the other way around. and uh, I really revel in being able to do different things. And um, this show has really unlocked a lot of stuff. It's been really instrumental in feeding my writing. It's been hugely instrumental um, in amazing conversations with my husband, you know, a lot of hilarious conversations and also a lot of very intimate or mm, more complicated or less comfortable conversations. And it's also led to some really freeing conversations with my son. He's like, what is the name of your play? And I tell him, so what are you doing that? I'm playing a clitoris, kind of arguing with the brain. And watching him choose not to squirm, actually, and say, oh, so you're like the conscience. I'm like, no, the brain is more the ego. I'm more impulsive. Oh, so the brain's the conscience. Well, yes, because that's kind of how we operate. And for him to... Um, take that on in his stride and be quite thankful that I'm just being straight up. Mm. 
so that there's nothing to be awkward about. And um, I think that's probably what I'm most proud of, that my two young boys know about a clitoris. I think that's... I think I'm... I can give myself a pat on the back for yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> if nothing else, I mess did. up everything else. <laughs> <laughs> it took me like 20 years to figure out what a clitoris was. And I have one. So. And can you tell us and our listeners when the show is on? How can they come and watch it? How can they book tickets? With pleasure. So we um, open uh, previews. Um, so if you love to see a show in its early days, and often I really love to watch something in previews and then maybe go a little bit later see how it's developed so we open previews 9th 10th and 11th of may and if you put in the code herself all caps and the number eight you can get half price tickets we open officially our press night is 13th of may and we run until the 25th if you can come on a wednesday you can also get half price tickets Wondrous Weds, W-E-D-S, is the code, and you get half-price tickets then. Of course, you can go to the website, ovalhouse.com, and you'll see our trailer there, a bit more information about the show, and um, tell all your friends, because I'm so excited to share this. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you.